Yes, hello folks, welcome to our weekly global football show. I'm your host as always, Fab Brown. Join with the excellent Zach Lowe. He's way too talented to be doing podcasts with me as he knows this. So I'm going to enjoy his presence while I have him. How are you doing, young man? Hey, Phil. Doing very well. Very excited to be co-hosting yet another global football show. Um, just want to have a quick shout out. Um, as you know, my website, Breaking the Lines, that's BTL Vid on Twitter. Uh, we have actually done two lengthy threads today. One on the latest action in the Brasileirao. A lot of mm, interesting games going that, on yeah, in, in the Brazilian top flight. And actually, we've been doing weekly uh, recaps of every single uh, of every single match day in the Brasileirao season. So definitely read that if you need a crash course and, and want to learn about players like Vitor Roque and Endrick. And we also did a very lengthy thread on the uh, feud concerning Greg Berhalter Giovanni Reina, mm. Daniel Reina, and the blackmailing saga that uh, really poisoned the U.S.'s World Cup campaign. Uh, one of the, sure. quite frankly, one of the most bizarre uh, stories I've seen as of late. So, yeah, definitely check both of those out. Yeah, definitely check it out. I was actually reading a little bit about that before we come on the air, but another 17-year-old debutant at Santos, um, which was quite interesting. So definitely give out a check. Um, and you mentioned something there about Greg Berhalter, which is really interesting because anybody that's been involved in club soccer in the US um, will have looked at this and said it's quite amazing that this happens at the very highest level, it happens at all levels of football, um, where you get parents that aren't happy about their kids playing time and start starting fights with coaches. Uh, doesn't matter what level you play at, it happens to all of us. Last to talk about today, mate. Uh, of course, as we go on, our Pochettino has agreed a deal to go to Chelsea in the summer. I want to ask you about that. What to expect from Pochettino, um, who we might bring in, who we might let go, uh, whether it's even possible to do the job that he's being brought in to do. Uh, I want to ask you about Feyenoord, of course, who won the Eredivisie this weekend. Uh, first time since 2017, Santiago Jimenez has been quite incredible for them. Uh, Arneslat has done a fantastic job since taking over from Dick Alpuka. I want to talk to you a little bit about Arsenal. Um, interesting some of the narratives that are going on about their season. We'll talk a little bit about that. Um, and one or two other things as well. We'll also have Jonathan Johnson on the podcast tomorrow. So we'll leave most of the French PSG stuff. Uh, the Toulouse story, which is quite incredible. Um, of course, we'll talk about what happened there with some players refusing to play um, over a tribute to the LGBTQ community. We'll talk a little bit about, um, obviously, the drama PSG with Lionel Messi, possibly going back to Barcelona, uh, what, uh, and possibly Jose Mourinho going to PSG, who's had a poor end-of-season run at um, Roma. I uh, haven't won in the last five. So let's talk about that tomorrow, so do tune in for that. Mate, first and foremost, I want to start with you with Pacchettino because he has just been announced uh, that he will come to Chelsea in the summer. Not a massive surprise, as of course he's been on the cards for quite a while. Um, but it seems to me that um, for Pacchettino, it's always helpful to have someone like Graham Potter go before you because if Chelsea don't know why Graham Potter failed, I think Pacchettino will. And Pacchettino is a very smart guy. Uh, I remember towards the end of his Tottenham tenure, there were some issues about how he had said he was essentially a coach and he wasn't a manager because he had no control over recruitment. And I didn't take that as a compliment, I took it as a dig towards Daniel Levy and the football club and the way it's being run. Um, it's hard for me to imagine that it'll be anything different. Chelsea, I was listening to an interview with um, 
David Ornstein, before we come on this podcast, David Ornstein said that Chelsea's recruitment plans haven't changed this summer based on this appointment. There'll be collaboration between Pochettino, uh, Paul and Stanley, Lawrence Stewart, who are the sporting directors at Chelsea, and of course Frank Lampard. Um, collaboration doesn't, it's quite a vague word. I mean, there was allegedly collaboration between Ralph Ranić on United's future plans, and I don't really think that happened. Um, you know, he's walking into a bit of a mess. Um, and I understand there won't be a games between now and the end of the season. Uh, what do you expect from Pochettino at Chelsea? Yeah, so overall, I like this move. I think that uh, given the fact that when you look at the other options, I think that Julian Nagelsmann uh, immediately withdrew his candidacy from the Chelsea position and, and as well as Luis Enrique, if, if I'm not mistaken. So I, I think that there weren't too many options who are going to be uh, who, who are going to be the uh, checking all the boxes, shall we say? But I think that Pochettino definitely meets a lot of that criteria, and I think that you know when you rewind the clock back to uh, the summer of 2014 when Mauricio Pochettino took charge of Tottenham, I think that there are actually a lot of similarities between the current between that situation and the current predicament predicament that Chelsea currently find themselves in because uh, Tottenham at that time they had sold uh, Gareth Bale the previous summer, uh, spent a ton of money to little avail, and uh, were quite frankly at rock bottom at that point. And I think that Chelsea, you know, with regards to this situation, the, the standard, the expectations and the standards right now, they are very low because of what we've just seen. This is quite frankly uh, the worst campaign I can recall from any top six club uh, in the Premier League. So the fact is, Pochettino is taking charge of a Chelsea team that, yes, has spent a lot, but that, that really doesn't quite have its spine uh, together. And they are lacking in several key positions. So I think that uh, his success is definitely going to depend a lot on recruitment. Uh, I think that's definitely going to be one of the, the biggest keys. And Chelsea, when I look at their squad... Um, they definitely need a goalkeeper. They need a center forward. They need a defensive midfielder. And uh, I, I think they need to move on uh, from quite a few players, such as Mateo Kovacic and Golo Kante, uh, and, and try to rebuild on more of a younger side. And I think that also not playing in European competition uh, could be a blessing in disguise because it's, it's definitely going to incentivize them to try to offload uh, some of these players and, and try to uh, really build up this this team. So, yeah, I think that Pochettino, the fact is, he did a fantastic job at Tottenham despite failing to uh, win the Premier League. You look at where they were when he took charge and you look at where he left them, you know, challenging for the title on two separate occasions, uh, reaching the Champions League final, and above all, maximizing so many key players. You know, I think that's uh, definitely an underlooked part of Pochettino's mm. time both at uh, Tottenham as well as St. Mary's, the fact that he was able to develop a lot of these up-and-coming young players such as Kyle Walker, Harry Kane, uh, Heung-Min Son, getting the most out of them. And I think that with regards to Chelsea, you are certainly seeing a lot of talented uh, players being underutilized, such as Enzo, Ferfa en uh, Enzo Fernandez. So I think that... It does have the makings of a decent spine. You know, I look at this team, I think that Wesley Fofana, Benoit Badiashir, Levi Colwell, Reese James, uh, I think there's there's quality in defense. 
Enzo, for me, he needs a, a top-quality partner, someone, uh, you know, maybe Joao Paulinha, Declan Rice, not so sure. Uh, and I also think that, yeah, there needs to be guarantees in attack because right now I look at that front line and there aren't that many difference makers. Yes, you've got Raheem Sterling, who recently got a brace against Nottingham Forest. Um, yes, you've got, uh, you know, Kai Havertz and Noni Madweke who've shown their talent on occasion. But are they going to be able to do it on a consistent basis? We've Kunku coming in this summer too, don't they? Yeah, and I like Christopher Nkunku a lot. He recently got himself... Got himself a, a brace of assists to lead Leipzig to a win against Werder. Yeah, we lost him a weekend. So uh, I, I think I, I find it hard to to see Chelsea bringing in Nkunku as well as uh, negotiating a permanent deal for Joao Felix. But with that being said, uh, with missing out on European football, are they in a position to turn their nose up at a player of Felix's potential? It's going to be a very interesting question because I think that there's a potential for you know, shall we say, a, a, squ- a square peg in a round hole with Felix. But with that being said, uh, I do think that he has shown a, a lot of promise here and needs to uh, be able to adapt to Pochettino's system. But I, I could certainly see him playing, uh, shall we say, a Dele Ali role, you know, that second striker role uh, behind whoever that is, Harry Kane or, or someone else. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think that there there's definitely um, – sorry – I, I think that Harry Kane is probably not a great option, but considering the fact that Daniel Levy is not going to let him go, but I could see maybe someone like Victor Osimhen or uh, Randall Kolomouani. The fact is, I think that's that is Chelsea's biggest concern for me. Uh, I w- I think that going into next season with you know Kai Havertz as well as I guess Armando Broya and David Datro Fofana, for me it's just a little bit too risky. I think that. When you when you're looking at their their team, uh, they are definitely missing a clear cut goal getter, a center forward such mm-hmm. as Ollie Watkins, such as Ivan Tony, all these other players that are ahead of Chelsea. They have that player, whether that's Alexander Mitrovic, Gabriel Jesus, Harry Kane. You know, Chelsea they need they 100% need uh, a center forward that they can build upon. Yeah, they aren't alone in that. Um... Pochettino for me is probably the only manager in recent memory um, that left Tottenham with an enhanced reputation than what he went there with and I'm sure he will learn from the PSG experience Um, and to me um, the reason why Pochettino left Spurs with an enhanced reputation is because his profile fits exactly who Spurs are as a football club. He's a brilliant coach, he works with young players, he develops them and that's what Tottenham are. Um, Chelsea, on the other hand, are more PSG than they are Tottenham. And I'm looking at Chelsea going, can they get out of their own way? Can they turn around and surrender to a Pochettino and his identity and say, okay, we're not going to try to go out and send players to the top of the market. We're going to send developmental players um, and give complete autonomy to Maurizio Pochettino, which you will need to do. He's bringing in all his backroom staff. Um, and you'll have to listen to football people if you want to get results on the field. And that's the only thing I would be concerned about if I was a Chelsea fan as to whether they will adhere to that over the long term. It may be something they promised in the beginning, but we know how these people work. And and eventually... Because I don't think Pochettino will win the league in his first season. I don't think he's going to... So there'll be reasons to doubt him. And when they doubt him... 
is that when they revert the tape and start saying, well, you know what, we, we, we need to do it our way. And, um, you know, for Pochettino, I hope he's got the concessions that he needs. Otherwise, he's just going to be another reputation manager who's sacrificing his reputation for someone else's failures. One thing I will say, Phil, I mean, you make a great point that out of all these guys such as Mourinho, Nuno, Conte, uh, Pochettino is really the only Tottenham manager of the past decade that's that's left uh, the club with a better reputation than before. With regards to Paris Saint-Germain, though, I can't think of too many managers who, who have improved their reputation. Even Thomas Tuchel, who led them to a Champions League final. Um, so I, I think that... Uh, he will have learned from his mistakes at Paris Saint-Germain in terms of managing these egos, in terms of dealing with superstars. Although I must say, um, I, I look at this Chelsea team and I wonder, you know, who are the superstars? I'm not so sure he'll have quite the same problems. Although, of course, th there are the added pressures uh, of, of dealing with so much investment and, and the expectations that this, this club has created for itself. Um, but what I will say is I think that Pochettino is a very good floor raiser. He's somebody who's going to take this Chelsea team that that is in that has no direction whatsoever at the moment, on or off the pitch, uh, and that's going to help build an identity for them. And that that's been a real big problem for them at Stamford Bridge lately, and that's something that uh, emanates from having so much managerial turnover. You don't really have a manager who's going to have yeah, a consistent form of, of recruitment and who's going to be able to implement his style and philosophy. But if he's going to be given the, that same time and patience that he was uh, handed at, at Tottenham, I think that we could see Chelsea uh, really start to uh, finally find a, a sense of consistency under Todd Bowley. It's going to take time, even if they manage to get in uh, the likes of Mike Magnan and Victor Osimhen uh, and Declan Rice this summer. It's going to take time uh, to to merge these players, especially when you look at the fact that you know Manchester City, as well as so many other clubs, are, are quite frankly uh, ahead of them at the moment. But I do think that they have the talent to uh, bounce back and and of course exploit their lack of uh, of European commitments and get back into the top four if they can get these signings right. But I do think that in in the back of Bully's mind, he. He recognizes that Pochettino is somebody who may not be tasked to finish off the job, but he is going to help uh, you know get get the building blocks in place. Okay, um, so maybe he's not somebody who's who's going to win you that third Champions League. You know, he's not a, a Zinedine Zidane or Carlo Ancelotti proven winner type, but he has certainly done a very good job in terms of player development, in terms of. Uh, in, in terms of getting results, and I, I do think that he is the best choice for Chelsea uh, when I look at their their players and I look at the fact that despite the fact that there there isn't really that spine in place, you can see a lot of talent uh, such as Enzo, James, Fofana. So I do think that this is the right choice. Uh, but I, with that being said, I, I'm not 100 sure if he's going to be the right man to get them to the promised land. You know, it remains... Yeah, so that that's my question. Yeah. <clears throat> because if you're Pochettino's agent and you're sitting in a meeting with Todd Bowley <clears throat> and Benedict Bowley and saying, how am I client? How would you sell Pochettino to Chelsea on what? What are his attributes? 
How would I sell them on mm -hmm. what exactly? So what if they, if you said sell me your client, what is Pochettino's most outstanding attribute that separate him from everyone else? So okay, I would say the fact that he the make him right for Chelsea. So look, he he did a good job at Southampton. You know, I think good job was, at Southampton. Does that get you a Chelsea job? job? And he did a fantastic job at, at Tottenham. Okay? Did he I win? don't care that he didn't win a trophy. He the okay. fact is. Uh, without Pochettino, Tottenham would, would never be anywhere close to uh, challenging for the league title in back-to-back -back years or reaching the Champions League final, okay? And, I mean, yes, it, it is embarrassing that he is, what, um, like, I don't know, 50, 51, and, and has no real major trophies. But the fact is, uh, one thing that, you know, some things that these technical directors and scouts look at is okay you may not have the champions league or the world cup in your resume but you have gotten the most out of a lot of these players and have helped uh really take their games up to another level uh we've seen that a lot at, at tottenham not as much at paris Saint germain when you're dealing with a lot of uh finished products shall we say players who are not as malleable who are, who are not going to be really shifting uh in their development but I think that, that, that player development, as well as just implementing a, a, a good identity, um, of course, I'm... I'm you just described some holidays. I'm contradicting myself a little bit because there was absolutely no identity whatsoever at Paris Saint-Germain. But how much of that is down to Pochettino? How much of that is down to that club just being so toxic? Um, so look, the fact is, I, I think it's a good move for all parties. Pochettino um has been out of a job since last summer right and that's that's a pretty long time for a manager of his credentials uh and i, I think that you, you you laugh at me obviously but look i no i i I, I, I just haven't heard you say anything that i couldn't describe to an average well, manager okay look i let's because i i'm asking the same question but pochettino is like united i'm like why what separates him he's a likable guy yeah Right, I know why he succeeded at Spurs because he has. And when I say succeeded, he didn't win anything, but he got Spurs to the Champions League final. I yep. mean, it, which I think is overachieving with Spurs. Um, I don't think you can realistically expect any more than that at Tottenham. Um, Do Tottenham? I mean, here, but, the fact but, that Tottenham have been a top four regular for what the past yeah. years like. But Harry Redknapp did that. Zach. That does not happen without Pochettino. But he, Harry, Harry Redknapp did that. Zach. What's up? Harry Redknapp get them in the Champions League. Okay. You know, I'm, 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 no, but I'm just saying, like, I, I like him, right? I do. But here, here's would be, this would be my concern. You need a resume to get you through the bad times. Okay. When things start going south, when you have a couple of bad results, what do you lean on? You lean on your resume, right? I did this, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this. I've won things that you've won. I've won the top trophies. That's what gets players respect. All, all your methods and everything else too, right? Yeah. But when you're looking at a guy that's never done that, that doesn't have that track record, they are really easy to lose faith in and throw under the bus because it's very easy to say all of a sudden the negatives start appearing when you have doubts. Like, well, he hasn't won anything. That will become amplified. Well, you know what David Ornstein said that when he left Spurs, the reason why they didn't want to bring him back is because there was a lot of things that happened behind the scenes that people haven't talked about. Um, you look at some of the other jobs that he's done, 
you know, he's done okay with clubs who don't have an expectation of being serial winners. Yeah. Right? Has he ever been really at a club where, <clears throat> you know, he's 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 churned out trophy after trophy? You know, you could argue that, you know, Mourinho has a much better resume, but maybe he's not a better coach. And when you're at Chelsea, I would worry for Patch. I had the same concerns at United. That the when you have a culture inside a football club that's rancid, that constantly blames the manager for things, it's going to be easy to blame Pochettino when things go wrong. Look, here's what I will say. I think that footballing management is often like an iceberg. You know, uh, we we often see just a tiny bit of it, but there's often so much mm -hmm. uh, deeper that that goes in. So I think that. You know, uh, there there are so many factors to the Pochettino appointment that that need to go right in order for him to have success. I think that he needs the right players, but mm. I think that um, it, you know it's it's about uh, forming an identity as well as forming a new culture. I think that Ch Chelsea, one of the biggest reasons for this lack of consistency and and lack of success, you know, no uh, Premier League titles in, in six years now. Uh, I think that one of the biggest reasons has, has been down to uh, a less than ideal playing culture where players aren't afraid of consequences because of the club's failure to, to move them on and, and constantly chopping and changing the manager and, and knowing that the manager is the one that's culpable, the players aren't. They are not going to be held accountable. And I think that needs to change yes. in order for Chelsea uh, to, to get back on track because uh, what what we've seen over the past nine months from Chelsea is not just a result of underperforming players, not just a result of not having a world-class center forward, it's the result of this toxic mm -hmm. player culture and mm -hmm. failing to hold these players accountable and creating uh, a real toxic environment. So some really poor decisions that have been made, but I think that Pochettino can help in, in reversing that. And yeah, what I will say is, is I think that he is a floor raiser. I think that he's somebody who's going to be able to to do a really good job with this rebuild. Okay, and Chelsea need a rebuild above everything else. They need to uh, they they need to find an identity both on and off the pitch. And I think that Pochettino will be helpful for that. Um, but can they rebuild yeah, like that? They've been doing that for a year. They need like to I sell. Said, I I would just say, like I said, it's an iceberg, right? And a lot of mm -hmm. times we don't see that. You know. Think of how much success, I don't want to say success because obviously they haven't won a trophy, but but success that Tottenham uh, have had in, in recent years since Pochettino left, uh, thanks to players such as Human Son and Harry Kane who have been able to take that next step since uh, really really finding form for the first time under Pochettino. I think that uh, that, that there's definitely something to, to be said about that. And I think that you, know, you bring up a, a lot of examples. For example... Uh, Jose Mourinho. Jose Mourinho took charge of Real Madrid when they were in an incredibly dark spot, when they were consistently getting knocked out of the Champions League in the round of 16, and, you know, got them back to the Champions League semifinals, wasn't able to, to really lead them to uh, to silverware, to La Decima, but he was still able to uh, to really improve that, that competitiveness, that culture, and the, the first year that he leaves... Uh, Real Madrid win La Decima and have won, you know, four since. So I, I don't think that uh, obviously Mourinho will not have La Decima on his on his resume, but I don't think that Real Madrid uh, win it without without Mourinho being there for for three years in the work that he did. Similar thing we we are seeing with Brighton. You know, I think it's clear that 
this Brighton team under Roberto De Zerbi is head and shoulders uh, above any any team that we have mm. seen under Graham Potter. But the fact is, uh, are are Brighton in this position without uh, the 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 foundations that Potter helped lay to lay at the Amex uh, over the course of a few years? I don't think so. So maybe Pochettino is going to be Chelsea's uh, pot, Potter and and. Uh, maybe they're going to have to bring in a Deserby, maybe Deserby himself um, in in 2027 or, or whatever uh, to get the job done. But I do think that, well, just, you know, he, he's done a great job at, at both uh, Tottenham and, and Saints, and I think that he definitely deserves another crack in management. We'll be very interested to see uh, how he does after his Paris Saint-Germain debacle. No, look, he definitely deserves another crack. I would agree with that. I just don't know. Like, I felt that Graham Potter... It wasn't just the wrong choice for Chelsea, but Chelsea was the wrong choice for him. And I wonder, I'm sorry, if that may be the case with Pochettino. Anyway, let's move on. Uh, Arsenal. Um, you could, I mean, Twitter is probably the worst place to um, draw an narrative from this because football fans are notoriously cruel to each other. But the, the, the assumption is that Arsenal collapsed. Um, certainly their form over the last three or four games has not been great. Um they were under enormous pressure. You talked about them on this podcast before, but being a young team, City, to be fair, have been absolutely relentless. And they're very, very difficult. They've won 15 in a row. Um, you know, that makes it extremely difficult to, when they don't make a mistake. Um, you know, one of those games, of course, was against Arsenal. Two of them against Arsenal. <coughs> um, one away. And... Um, Depends if you'd have asked Pochettino to start a season with second of being successful, he certainly would have said yes. Um, they haven't won a trophy, um, but still, still, I think second's a good season. Um, but I was thinking about this last night, and I'm like, I think for Arsenal, the worst thing that they can do is think that this is a good season, because if they think, you know what, we did really well, we overperformed. Rather than coming away with the attitude that we should have won this league, we need to make sure this doesn't happen next season. We need to make sure we build a team next season that doesn't make these mistakes, that makes sure we're ruthless, that we have the squad depth, we win this. That, to me, is the only attitude to take here. If they come away from the season thinking, you know what, we did great, we overperformed, we finished second, that would be a very dangerous mentality to take in the next season for me. Yeah, listen, I think that... Arsenal have had a positive season, okay? There's no doubt about that. They have, um, you know, managed to return to the Champions League after six years, I believe, um, and, and they've been able to challenge for the Premier League title. Obviously, it is disappointing, the fact that, you know, I believe no team had ever gone into uh, New Year's with as many points as Arsenal and failed to win the title. Uh, the fact that Arsenal have, have been atop uh, the league for practically... The entirety of the season, except for when it really mattered, um, and of course they they are going to lose out on this title. And part of that is uh, down to how good this city team is, how inevitable they are, and you know they they really didn't panic that uh, since those back to back one one draws uh, against RB Leipzig and Nottingham Forest, they have just been relentless and won pretty much every single league match, as you mentioned, and uh, been relentless in the FA Cup and the Champions League. And when you're facing an opponent like that who's won you know, four of the last five league titles, that definitely uh, puts 
a uh, you know it, it definitely can damage you mentally and you feel that no matter what you you do uh, it's not going to be good enough just because of how uh, lethal this city team is but i think that arsenal you know they they can definitely be proud of themselves this season but there are certainly a lot of lessons that need to be learned uh, from from these mistakes these these past few weeks uh losing the league to city there's no shame in that but losing uh, the league in the manner that they have done, th- there is quite a lot of shame in that. I- I'm sorry. Uh, when you look at their performances, when you look at the results over the past few weeks, yes, it has to be said Arsenal have bottled it. Uh, you look at bottling those leads and, and you know and drawing to likes of West Ham, Liverpool, Southampton, uh, and and losing to opponents that they quite frankly should be beating and. Uh, you know, once again, having their season collapse against Brighton, facing off against Brighton at home, and not just losing 3 nothing, but being completely dominated from start to finish, both, you know, in terms of possession, as well as being first to uh, loose balls and, and just being completely outplayed, outfought and outran. Uh, and I think that there's, there's a lot to that. So look, our, uh, Mikel Arteta, one, one of his biggest mistakes uh, was certainly persisting with Rob Holding for as long as he did. The fact is, Rob Holding is a mid-table championship center back. Okay, he should be playing for a team like QPR or Millwall, um, but he should not be playing for Arsenal. And the the fact that it took uh, Arteta as long as it did uh, for him to to recognize this, uh, I, I definitely think it, it speaks slowly of of him. Uh, and, and it's definitely something that he needs to rectify. As a manager, you need to be able to tell when a player is not good enough, when they need to be dispatched. Um, and, and Arteta took far too long to, uh, to erase him from the lineup and bring in Jakub Kiwior, who has already you know, far outperformed him in his past few games. But it's a bit ironic that Kiwior was only introduced uh, after, after uh, they lost to Manchester City. So I think that... In in another uh, another sense, it was also a big of a a big blow for them to enter the city match where it was a must win game for them. You know, having having gone in on the back of I believe three consecutive draws, they needed to win that, and that's never going to be uh, that that's never going to be a positive scenario for them because City are the team that that thrives when it's crunch time, when it's uh, the biggest occasions. We've seen that time and time again. Uh, such as going down on the final day of last season, coming away with the league title. They just don't crack when the pressure is on. And Arsenal have cracked. They have cracked for quite a few years. And uh, while they have made significant progress this season, uh, the fact is we've seen a team that has crumbled under the pressure and that that wasn't able to keep up. And and, and it's been a very disappointing way for uh, such a promising season to end. So I think that, you know, apart from... Uh, Arteta being too stubborn to drop uh, holding until it was too late. I think that one of the things that he not, he definitely needs to work on um, as Arsenal manager is his squad management. You know, I think I, a lot of people they erroneous, erroneously um, accuse Pep Guardiola of having you know a massive uh, squad with with so many backups. But the fact is, you know, you look at the players that he is utilizing. 
yes, you have some fantastic players coming off the bench, such as Julian Alvarez, Phil Foden, but uh, it's actually kind of a thin squad when you look at it uh, numerically. He is not utilizing uh, that many more players than, than Arteta is. Um, and as a coach, you need to make the most out of your squad. And I think that, um, yes, of course, Pep has um, um, has the best squad in the Premier League. He's blessed with world-class players such as Kevin De Bruyne and Erling Haaland. Um, but he has also been able to to keep these players, a lot of them superstar players, uh, on their feet and competitive. You know, you can't really uh, predict a, a Guardiola lineup. You know, he's he's going to make some changes. He's going to surprise uh, a lot of people. And I think that as a result, it's not only kept these players competitive and making them realize that they need to bring it not just in every single match, but every single training session and, and what that does to uh, to establish a competitive environment. But I think it's also allowed them to enter this home stretch of the season uh, feeling pretty fit and, and uh, ready to go. I, I don't think there are any major injuries for City at the moment. Uh, and, uh, you know, apart from, you know, avoiding these costly injuries at the right time, there are also uh, all these players are fresh and and clicking on all cylinders and uh, I I just think that's something that Arteta has been unable to do. We saw the the first few months of the season. Yes, Arsenal were in sensational form and it looked like they were going to run away with the title. Uh, but you were going with pretty much the uh, pretty much the exact same lineup. Uh, in every single match, you know, um, with with Aaron Ramsdale and goal and Ben White, William Saliba, Gabriel Magalhães, Alexander Sinchenko, um, you know, and uh, it pretty much wrote uh, the, the lineup pretty much wrote itself. So there wasn't really any rotation. And I do think that, um, quite frankly, Arteta has has uh, he definitely needs to work on that aspect of his uh, management because players such as Reese Nelson, who I think has actually done really well. Uh, as of late, and has made a consistent impact off the bench, he'll be kicking himself that 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 he hasn't been able to get a a full run in the team because you know as as good as Bukayo Saka has been over the course of the season, the fact is he's really dropped off in form over these past few weeks, and he's far from the only one. And you know maybe some of these players are are feeling the the effects of of fatigue, but maybe they're also too comfortable in in the starting spot because I think that uh, you know. Nelson is far from the only one. I think that uh, Trossard and, and a few others, they'll definitely be um, feeling, you know, what what do I need to do in order to uh, get a full round of starts? So, yeah, I think that this is definitely a positive campaign at the Emirates. But with that being said, uh, one of the most important things in football is being able to learn from your mistakes, learn what you did wrong. And 100%, I think that Arteta does need to learn uh, how to make the most of a squad, how how to keep his players fresh for all competitions, and and uh, how how to be able to maintain that competitive environment. I think you're on mute, Phil. I'm sorry. It is quite interesting that Pep Guardiola can keep these players so fit and so <laughs> fresh. Uh, Bayern Munich doctor, of course, um, someone that made some interesting questions about Pep Guardiola. Pep Guardiola himself, who failed in non-zone test, if I'm correct in saying, um, who is also um, managing a city team being charged for the second time with a litany of um, charges 
related to cheating. Uh, Pep Guardiola, who managed Barcelona, who's also facing allegations of cheating. Um, without a doubt, Pep Guardiola is an exceptional football manager. Um, knows the game inside out. But I think it's really unfair to Arsenal, and to anyone else for that matter, to not have an asterisk beside Manchester City and their dominance. And to say that Manchester City, who are going for their fourth, was it fifth title, fourth or fifth title? Fifth title. Also, yeah, fifth title. Manchester City going for their fifth title in six years, who are also facing over 100 charges for cheating by the Premier League, um, who weren't exculpated, by the way, by cast, like their fans like to quite rightly say. Um, you know, what they said was that they were unable to prove beyond a reasonable doubt the allegations. That does not exculpate you. It just means that the you know evidence doesn't exist to justify prosecution of the charges. However, a lot of charges did stand. They refused to com comply with an investigation, um, which is not usually something you would do if you had nothing to hide. Um, I think there's an implied guilt in that. Of course, they paid the fine. <clears throat> um, and whether you agree with FFP or not, and whether you agree with the sentiments around FFP or not, it's not really the point. The point is that he signed up for these rules and these are the same rules that everyone else has to adhere to. So I think, you know, I've made this an analogy before. It's a bit like finishing second to Ben Johnson in the Olympics. You know, when you've got someone that's not competing in the same way that everyone else is, that's doping. Um, I think um, it is quite appropriate to say these have not been... These, the city have not been emancipated or um, uh, exculpated from these charges yet. And Arsenal, uh, who aren't, you know, who are, who are complying with the rules, who are doing what everyone else is doing and, and you know, spending appropriately and, and trying to do this organically, you know, we're trying to compete with someone that cut every single corner that didn't want to do that. And that's, you know, so to me, I think um, the fact that, uh, you mentioned something there that I thought was quite interesting about this is the first time a team with Arsenal's points total in January have um, not won the league but we're not talking about this is not analogous to previous years because now we're talking about teams with completely different resources and you know we're talking about teams that weren't competing in the way they were competing before there was much more competitive balance um, and we don't even know because there's a lot of payments were allegedly hidden by sitting, you know, and a lot of FFPs related to compensation to payment. So there's allegedly people that have been compensated um, significantly um, that hasn't been declared. Now, Rangers Football Club went bankrupt due to EBTs, due to essentially hiding financial payments to players. And they went bankrupt over taxes, over, um, but it was cheating without a shadow of a doubt. Celtic couldn't compete with that. Uh, there was payments being hidden. The, the, the proper taxes weren't paid on it. And um, Rangers essentially went out of business over this. Much as that he won't go out of business over it. Um, but I think when we're comparing Mikel Arteta and Arsenal to a football club that's you know, very possible not complying with the rules, I think we have to be fair to Mikel Arteta whenever we're saying his team folded or this happened or this happened or this happened or this happened. Merit matters in sport, and how you win matters in sport. Um, and to me, I think um, the fact that you know Arsenal pushed City so close, and in any other season, Arsenal would probably go on to win the league. But when yeah. you have someone 
you know, with these types of resources and are a football club that's not commensurate with anything that they were pre um Abu Dhabi, then you it's exactly the same with Newcastle. I mean pre Newcastle, you know, you know, pre city ownership at Newcastle, they were on the verge of getting relegated. Now they're finishing now they're in third. So there's an undeniable correlation between the investment that they're getting and their success. You can you can fail with money but you can't succeed without it. And I think it's fair to say that it's really important for journalists when they're talking about city success to put that caveat in there. Now, I'll drive city fans nuts. I don't really care, and I understand I'm primed to do that as the United fan. But I think it's really, really unfair to not mention the fact that they're once again being charged after a long investigation, by the way, with over 100 charges of cheating. No, I, I don't disagree with anything you said. I mean, you, you make a great point. Uh, there should be that asterisk. I mean, th this is a fact that a city have, have really been able to uh, have an unfair advantage over a lot of other teams. But with that being said, this is the reality. The, the, the reality is that City um, have essentially become what what uh, Paris Saint-Germain is to Ligue 1. They've been able to dominate this league. And uh, that's what Arsenal are going to be chasing for the next few years. And I think they're going to continue to chase it because they have a very strong spine, a very strong a uh, few building blocks when you look at uh, likes of Bukayo Saka, Gabriel Martinelli, Martin Odegaard in attack, Gabriel Magalhaes and William Saliba in defense. I think they need a lot of investment in the midfield areas, but it's definitely a very promising side. Um, but what I would just say is I, I do think that um, it's clear that Arsenal, a lot of their success has been learning from City uh, and, and bringing in, of course, two key players in, in uh, Gabriel Jesus and Alexander Zinchenko that, you know, while they may never have been uh, guaranteed starters, definitely played a role in their success. Um, and I, I think that one thing that they can also take is is their, you know, being able to utilize the entire squad. But, of course, they are they are going up against Goliath here. It's it's a near impossible task. Yeah. But one thing I will also say is, um, you know, Liverpool, before they before – they, uh, ended City's dominance. They were able to beat them on several occasions and be able to, you know, contest them directly. And that's what Arsenal needs to be able to do. They've they've been, shall I say, scared of City. You know, they haven't been able to to handle them in a competitive matchup. And I think that they need to be able to do that on a consistent basis because, you know, quite frankly, it's very hard to beat City in terms of consistency. They're a team that. Uh, you know, may drop points to uh, a poor side and, and may have a surprising result, but they're not a team that goes on losing streaks mm -hmm. or a streak of three straight draws like Arsenal did. Uh, so you're probably not going to beat them for consistency, but you need to be able to step up and, and take their take your game to them uh, and, and win on the pitch. Uh, that's what Arsenal needs to do. They need to get over that mental hump and prove to themselves that, you know, they are – capable of, of fighting and beating this city team. And I think that, yeah, that, you know, ever since the, the William Saliba injury and, and the, the, the poor results that followed in the lead up to that city game, I think that a lot of Arsenal players and Arsenal fans, of course, uh, accepted defeat. They, they recognized that this title fight was over before the, the title clincher. And that, I just think that's what, what, uh, a, a big thing that Arsenal are, are missing. They need that confidence in themselves. Yeah. They need to be able to take their game 
two city uh, and, and show that they're not afraid of them. Yeah. All right, let's move on, um, my friend, because something that happened this weekend in La Liga was Barcelona won the title. They won the, the, the rivals, Espanyol, um, and they celebrated on the field, which resulted more or less relegated Espanyol. The Espanyol ultras soon came from the stands, chased them down the tunnel. Um, both were wrong, in my opinion. I think it was a bit naughty of Barcelona to celebrate on the field. Um, maybe they could have done that in the changing rooms, locker rooms, um, and the outcome was somewhat predictable. Um, I was trying to think of something similar, like if um, you know United did that at Anfield, or, Anfield, or Liverpool players did that at Old Trafford, or or you know at City, or 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 Arsenal did it at Spurs. I would expect something similar, right or right, right or wrong, which probably shouldn't happen, of course. But um, I thought that was a bit naughty of Barcelona. Yeah, I completely agree. I think that what we saw from Espanol fans was despicable and has no place in football. Uh, you know, for them to invade the pitch, to throw chairs onto the pitch, and uh, force Barcelona players to retreat, and as well as the tec technical staff. Um, and I do hope that Espanol face some some form of sanctions. I know that they've got uh, two uh, two home matches and two away matches coming up uh, in their relegation battle. So I would hope that there's some form of punishment for them. But with that being said, you you cannot deny that Barcelona players did provoke it by celebrating in the center <laughs> of their stadium in of their crosstown rivals. Uh, and I I also think that Xavi. Uh, was one of the few that did not take part. You know, he went to the dressing room from what I, uh, from what I heard, and he was not part of the celebrations in the center circle. So yeah, when you do kind of ring around the rosy in the center of your, your rival stadium, you know, celebrating your league title while they're uh, fighting for their lives in the top flight, that can definitely lead to some crazy uh, fans taking measures. Yeah, I can't imagine River doing that in a bombonera. Yeah. So, look, it's, it's unacceptable from Espanol's standpoint, but with that being said, uh, you cannot deny that Barcelona provoked it. Xavi, uh, prior to that game, they conceded 11 goals all season. The most un-Barcelona of Barcelona, where they've built them on defence. Uh, Ronald Araujo has probably been their player of the year. Just fantastic. Um, and it, it's really remarkable how he's done this, because... Um, you know, Barcelona are so watertight at, uh, at the back and um, you, know, you have to give him tremendous credit when you think about what he took over from Koeman. Yeah, overall, I think that, look, Barcelona, it's been a positive season for them. Yes, they haven't been able to uh, progress in the Champions League, but uh, the fact is they've been able to win their first league title in four years, their first in the post-Lionel Messi era. Um, and so, yeah, I think that Still a lot of room for improvement. I think that uh, we we thought that Xavi was going to come in and you know institute a you know possession based attack minded philosophy, but actually a lot of their games have been one nothing wins, just barely eking it out. Thanks to uh, you know for for my money, the player of the season for Barcelona, Marc Andre Ter Stegen, he mm -hmm. has been back to his best and is showing why he's one of the best goalkeepers in world football. Huge season for him, huge season as well from uh, from a lot of key defenders, I would say. Uh, Alejandro Balde, been a revelation at left back, overtaking Jordi Alba in the starting lineup. And um, yeah, another player who's phased out and eventually retired, Gerard Piquet, um, 
We saw uh, Andreas Christensen and Ronald Araujo forming a promising center-back duo. Of course, you got Jules Koundé making a positive impact from his arrival uh, from, from Sevilla. And uh, we also saw a lot of a lot of players such as such as Rafinha uh, make an impact since arriving. So um, I, I think that for sure Barcelona need a lot of improvement in the final third. We did see Robert Lewandowski, although he is in pole position to win top score, his form has definitely taken a decline as of late. I think that uh, that needs to be addressed, and I think that. Yeah, without Usmane Dembele, with 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 him being constantly injured, I do think that they are in need of uh, perhaps more of, of a threat on the flanks to go alongside Rafinha if they do decide to keep hold of him. I know that they're in talks to uh, to sell Ferran Torres to Aston mm-hmm. Villa, and remains to be seen what happens with Abu Fati. But yeah, I think that they need to be targeting um, some midfield and attacking reinforcements. Obviously. Sergio Busquets will be leaving uh, Camp Nou on a free transfer. So, you know, it, it's been, I think, a, both a successful as well as a rebuilding year for Barca, getting uh, a lot of these new signings into the team and phasing out players such as Pique and Dalba. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that one thing that Xavi has been able to do incredibly well is uh, is, is establish a rock-solid back line. I believe the best defensive record in Europe's top five leagues and, and uh, I believe the best record for clean sheets. Uh, and as the saying goes, defense wins championships. So when you're able to sneak, uh, to eke out a lot of these narrow one nothing wins, yeah, it, it definitely helps. And I think that uh, in a way, I, I also think that Barcelona being knocked out of the Champions League and, and shortly after the Europa League um, helped in, in focusing their objective on on domestic competition. Mm-hmm. So yeah, fantastic achievement from Xavi, uh, and I, I do think that uh, they, this was a much needed uh, achievement for them as they look to uh, rebuild themselves. All right, my friend. Last question. Uh, PSV. Uh, sorry, Farinoid. Uh, Santiago Jimenez, uh, a Mexican striker. We talked about this earlier. Lots of clubs wanting the number nine. He's had a fantastic season. Arnold done a brilliant job since coming in uh, from Dick Africa. Finished third in his first season. Got far out to Europa Conference final, and won the Eredivisie's second season. Um, and uh, has some very very uh, exceptional players there that people would like to get their hands on. So tell me, are we looking at um, another exceptional Dutch coach, Arnold who's only forty four? Um, and uh, Santiago Jimenez, how highly do you read him? Yeah, I think so. I think, first of all, I, I would say definitely check out my uh, last week's uh, episode of Zach Lobby's European Football Show where I chat to Thomas Rongen about Feyenoord and Santiago Jimenez, uh, Feyenoord being one of his rival teams. And uh, But I think that Jimenez, you know, we talked about him a lot on the show. He has been a real sensation. I still can't believe he was not called up for... Mexico's World Cup squad, but he's really, uh, you know, made Tata Martino eat crow, as mm. they say, and really come into his own, one of the top scorers in the Netherlands, so technically gifted uh, for a big man, and, and has really been able to uh, emerge as that physical profile uh, in attack, and yeah, Feyenoord, it's, it's been a long time coming for them, winning their first league title in six years, ending Ajax's reign of dominance. I think that one thing that they definitely share in common with with Burnley and uh, Napoli and 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 Lance, they've been able to take that next step um, 
after losing so many key players. You know, Napoli won their first league title in 33 years after losing the likes of Kalidou Koulibaly, Lorenzo Insigne, Dries Mertens. Feyenoord, they lost a treasure trove of players. Uh, so many key players, whether that's, you know, Frederick Arsnes, uh, Tyrell Malassia, um, Marco Senesi to Bournemouth. Uh, so many vital players, and yet they were able to uh, rebuild and with some fantastic recruitment uh, and, yeah, dust themselves off after uh, losing to Roma in the Europa Conference League final. Um, so, yeah, Arnslot, he's done a fantastic job there. He he did a great job um, at Oz Alkmaar to, to earn this position, you know, getting them to finish atop alongside, Divizie, uh, alongside Ajax and Mier Divizie. And, uh, yeah, taking a, a well-deserved step up. Uh, so, yeah, fantastic year for, for Feyenoord as well as Dutch clubs in general. But, uh, yeah, I, I do think that there's a, that there's a chance that Armslot is going to be having a lot of interest from, from plenty of clubs this summer. But, uh, yeah, they, they have had a phenomenal window. And so, you know, you mentioned Santiago Jimenez. Uh, he's been a delight up top, but... So many other players worth mentioning. Igor Paixão, uh, been a real fun Brazilian winger, just bags of ability and pace, who loves to um, get up the, the wing and has uh, scored some absolute golazos as of late. Uh, Orkin Kochu, the captain, uh, 22 years old and has been one of the best midfielders um, in, in the Netherlands. And uh, you also have Usama Idrisi, you know, 27 years of age, uh, and he uh, had actually previously been playing for Sevilla. Had had uh, was was also playing for the likes of um, Ajax, and uh, was was playing alongside um, alongside the likes of Calvin Stengs and Tune Coop Miners, and really broke through as part of that Oz team under Arne Slot. So has definitely enjoyed a, a resurgence in form in Rotterdam. So yeah, fantastic com- campaign for Feyenoord. And it, I think it just goes to show, even if you're in a position where you're going to be losing so many key players, you can still turn it around and have a, a rapid rebuild. You know, we saw that with, with, with plenty of teams. We saw that with Benfica, of course, losing Darwin Nunez and, and getting in uh, plenty of top players such as Frederick Arsnes. But yeah, Feyenoord, what they've been able to do is uh, they've been able to just completely reinvigorate their team and and get them to uh, get them to win the league title and get them back into the Champions League. Fantastic job by the recruitment staff as well as Arnslot. Completely agree, my friend. Folks, don't forget to give us a guy check. Uh, check him out at Ozakrubi at Breaking the Lines. Of course, at PTL, we'll be back tomorrow with um, Jonathan Johnson to find out what's everything, everything's going on in France with PSG and, of course, what's going on with Toulouse, uh, Christophe Galtier and a few other things. So, we'll see where Lionel Messi's going this summer. Mate, thank you as always. Take it easy. And thanks for downloading, folks, and thanks for listening. See ya.